www.bostonfreeradio.com. is a community uh, response to what's going on. Um, basically, when the current administration started started really trying to put a drive into um, immigration, we started to see people getting, you know, we started seeing fears. We saw reductions in our classrooms at the Welcome Project and other places. And we started talking to, our, to constituents and other immigrants who were worried about what would happen. Um, so the Welcome Project did begin this project, but the the goal is is that, and still is, is that it's always about the community, and it's a, a way the community can chime in and try to help their fellow neighbors who who may want to know what activity ICE has going on in the community. Awesome. So, in in terms of how this works, um, there's a number. We're not going to read the number over the line at this moment, but we, you know, in order, so there's a number in which we get the reporter rate. And then there's a response community that gets to verify that rate. Is that correct? Right. So the way that it works is that you call into you can call into a number, and basically once you call that number, um, you'll get a voicemail. You can leave some you know you leave detailed information uh, if you'd like. Uh, you could leave a phone number, and somebody would get back to you uh, fairly quickly. And then what will happen is once that you know once we we take it in and we speak to you we'll have it verified to make sure that it's not a hoax um and then from there we will if it's true that there is ice activity still going on we will notify the community of what's going on um and that's a text alert which has a separate number if people want to join that number um to just get the alerts of what's going on in their community Awesome. And then this is meant to follow some sort of community. So is that the community alert or is that the rapid response team that um, that's after... the community alert? It's all part of the same thing. OK. In terms of the rapid response team, can you expand on that? Because that's what I'm really fascinated about is how does one respond to something like this locally? And how does and, and how do you go about doing it uh, effectively when it comes to the, you know, the discretion that's needed? Well, I think there's a couple of different things. I mean, the first thing in the way that we designed the rapid response network to be is to try to be as inclusive as possible. So we do look at policies um, and try to see how can we be friendlier, whether it be, you know, uh, locally in the city of Somerville or, you know, or even statewide and sometimes naturally. Um, and, you know, so we kind of start working on some of them things and then we prepare. And what we prepare for is not just if a raid did occur, we also prepare for other types of things, such as, you know, if somebody goes in for recording and they're detained, what happens to their family? So we're always thinking about the family unit uh, as a whole. Um, unfortunately, if somebody is detained, all we can do is, you know, help them get a lawyer, make sure that their family knows what's going on. Um, however, what happens in certain cases where, you know, um, such as in the Jose Flores case where, the husband was detained and he was actually going to pick up money and, you know, he has wife and children. What happens to them? 
So we will, you know, we will work with the, you know, with the wife and child and, and child to try to, um, you know, make sure that they're feeling safe, number one, and number two, making sure that they actually um, have, you know, that they have food and other things like that. Um, and they, you know, like I said, in the Jose Flores case, he was going to pick up money. They were supposed to go food shopping. They had no food at the house. So he was detained. Um, and, you know, the wife was worried about not just him, but then also, you know, providing food for their child. So we were able to make sure that she got the nourishment, she, you know, the food for the weekend. And then we were able to start working with her a little bit more on, um, you know, after that. Um, so in terms of in terms of what the Welcome Project as a whole does, how does the parent organization oversee this aspect of this response? Um, so the Welcome Project, uh, for people who don't know, is, we're, you know, we're a 31-year-old organization that does uh, that works on immigrant rights and advocacy work. We, our largest class is English. So when people continually say that, why don't they learn English? Actually, English is a very hard language to learn and it takes years. We help provide them with uh, structures so that they can learn English, but also we provide them with uh, a sense of survival. And what I mean by that is you will learn English through various lens. So when, you know, like right now, it's very popular to hear from people, my landlord just sold the house and now the new guy says I have to leave and we'll ask, you know, we'll say, do you have a lease? And, you know, so we'll start now teaching people housing rights while learning English. So you'll learn English through the lens of housing rights. Um, so, you know, we also run youth program and other things. So how does this tie in? Well, it ties in because one, um, you know, some of our constituents were worried. So they came to us and we talked and they thought that this would be a great idea. Um, so we began to put it together. Um, however, we do work with other partners. We do work with other groups. And, um, you know, we've decided to really say, well, this is a community response. We have individual volunteers. We have some community groups that are all trying to, you know, to be a part of this and all willing to help. So, you know, what we do is, you know, the Welcome Project, um, you know, we'll write, you know, we'll, we'll help try to we'll raise money for it. We, you know, we'll take most of the costs, such as for the tech system, uh, the, you know, the website, other things like that. Um, you know, the phone lines that are associated, all those types of things. And, you know, but we let the, we really let the community or the volunteers uh, run the show. So they help us, they help design what does, you know, what do things like, a, you know, what would happen in a raid? They're the ones who will, who will help verify it. They're the ones who do all this. Um, you know, we're pretty hands-off. We work with the community to try to figure out how we can um, help in a lot of ways. But at the same time, too, you know, if we're about leadership development, we have to let people lead. And that means, you know, kind of taking uh, taking a step back on things. We still hopefully have our guest, Benjamin Echeverria. Ben, are you still in? I'm here. Awesome. So what I want to know is the, uh, the liberal side, the leftist side, the Democratic Party has taken an L lately with uh, Justice Kennedy retiring, uh, recent Supreme Court cases going the way of uh, 45. What do you think is the, what are the next steps? Like, what are some concrete ways for people who maybe they're resisting Donald Trump from the right, they're resisting them from the left, from the center of right, from the center of left, even from the center? It's quite clear that uh, President 45 seems to be winning, at least on his terms. Well, I think the first thing is Justice Kennedy was not as liberal as a lot of people think. Um, you know, especially uh, over the last two years, there was a, 
there was a great um, diagram, and I think it was Vox that had put it out, that basically showed um, all his rulings and where they stand, um, you know, left, center, or or right. And um, traditionally and always, he has pretty much favored cases, um, you know, had, had always taken a conservative stance, um, except on a very few issues, such as abortion um, and, you know, and gender rights for the most part. Um, however, you know, other cases, he's, gen- he's been generally to the right. Um, I think his retiring will, you know, will be probably the fuel of the midterm elections. Um, this is probably one of the best, uh, the best things for the right, because I think a lot of people have been turned off by 45, and this will fuel them to want to vote um, within the midterm elections for conservative Senate to force another conservative um, on there. So that's, you know, that's the main fear. Um, I do think like the, what, you know, what the Democrats and, and others have to do is, you know, we have to push candidates. And, you know, the the problem I think is, is that Democrats have lost who they are in a lot of ways. Um, you know, one of the things, and I'll speak as an individual, not as, an, you know, not, not representing my organization for a second. Um, you know, one of the things that's that totally I've done in my personal life is I belong to the Latino Democratic Caucus. And one of the things that I did in there was, you know, when we were trying to figure out what our party platform looked like, I started looking at national convention platforms of the Dems in the 60s and 70s. And they were far more radical than, you know, anything that Democrats were trying to push today. And, you know, and I mean, a lot of the stuff had to do with workers' rights. I don't think we necessarily, you know, we fight for things like, you know, uh, $15 minimum wage when we should be fighting for stronger unions. We should be fighting for, um, you know, just being able to have, you know, the rights to work over and over again. I mean, I think we've stripped those, um, even like free speech rights, and we haven't done much on them. I think, you know, we worry too much about what the business world will will say versus really working with the people. Um, I think the strategy now is we have to, you know, the Dems have to take a look at themselves, realize, who's voting for them and really start to support an agenda that's much more diverse and, you know, quote unquote progressive. We have to take up, you know, minimum wages across the, across the country. We have to take up uh, fights against, um, you know, the destruction of, of unions and, and probably pushing for laws that, that will help overturn the Janus ruling. I'm quite fascinated with just like my perception of a lack of strategy. And that's the thing that I find with them is that even even if I don't even know what their strategy is for like low hanging policy, the floor shifting beneath all of us. What do you think, just as an activist, how does one really begin to approach common issues, table issues, personal issues, things that require not only political activists, but like would probably need to bring over civic organizations, maybe even the Chamber of Commerce, something that requires like such a coalition to bring local change that could be lasting as opposed to something which I think the Democrats is that they often reach high and then when they don't reach it, they fall far. Well, I think, you know, um, in reality, what we're seeing nationally is a easily a 30, 40 year strategy that you know, that Republicans had. Republicans took time to, you know, they said that, you know, they literally had said they were losing quite often, you know, the the House and the Senate seats. So what they did was they started running local elections. They started pushing, you know, their candidates on the local level and built and have built a farm team. 
you know, and right now we don't do that. Even in, you know, Massachusetts, you know, we have a Republican governor and it's a lot of that has to do with the fact that we don't do well in building farm teams. We don't do well in, you know, in strategizing and creating a, you know, a platform that actually speaks to everyone's minds and everyone's worries. And, you know, the Dems have become very top down as opposed to, you know, down up, which is what they've historically have been. Um, you know, we no longer really talk about shared governance, which is something, you know, that, um, you know, candidates um, like Cortez, who won in New York, and like Ayanna Presley, who, you know, here in, in, in our district, are talking about the fact that, you know, that people need to be, be much more involved in what's going on. But I also think we need to really start talking about how do we push candidates that support our issues on the local level, and, you know, and then move them upwards along the way. And we need to be doing that, you know, not in, quote, liberal Massachusetts, although I'm not sure how liberal we are, um, you know, but we need to be doing that in Texas. We need to be doing that in, you know, in, in Kansas and, you know, in Kentucky and all these other places, not just here in Massachusetts. Um, you know, we're losing, Democrats are losing the fight big time because they're not, they're not strategizing about the long term. And we'll talk about it and say things like, you know, we need to do X, Y, and Z, but nationally, there's no plan to actually create a farm team. There's no plan to really push and start developing local leaders who can eventually be, um, you know, who can eventually run for, for national offices and things like that. We don't talk about that. Um, in terms of policies, you know, we, yeah, we do need to start thinking a little bit more broad um, however, we need to be thinking about, you know, inclusiveness, and we don't. We, you know, we don't do well with – when we lose a fight, we move on. We don't actually sit there and continue to battle for that issue. Um, I think too often, you know, we sit there and we'll say things, well, we tried, and then we move on, instead of trying to figure out how can we push this agenda in a way that, you know, we may have lost today, but, you know, how do we win tomorrow then? And we don't think about it in those ways. Um, you know, there are fights, you know, e even within the state of Massachusetts that I can think of, you know, there was at one point, there was a fight for in-state tuition for undocumented people. You know, it came and it went, it didn't get the votes. We've never discussed that again. Um, you know, driver's licenses as well. Um, you know, places like Texas actually support driver's licenses for undocumented people. We couldn't get it here in quote liberal mass. Um, so, you know, we have to think about what's the long-term strategy, and too often we don't. And, you know, and I think the chamber is willing to work with a lot of, you know, liberal groups because I think they realize that a lot of what they want are for their small businesses to prosper. And, you know, the current the, the current climate is not good for small businesses. It's all designed for these large businesses to profit. So, you know, I think there are t ways we can, you know, we can start working together. The question is, can we, are we willing to focus on two or three items and say, we don't agree on these 20 things, but we agree on these three things. Can we work together on these three things? You're always great to talk to. Uh, ben Echeverria sure. from the Welcome Project, he'll be back on. In the meantime, we're going to play something that the Democrats badly need right now. This is Win by Jay Rock. Hey, Ben, are you still on the line with us? Yeah, I'm here. I know when I was growing up, we didn't always have access to a computer at home. At you know, it wasn't like the most reliable thing. But growing up, I had like libraries available to me, 
And later on, I learned what community media centers were, which allowed to really amplify one's voice through a great many number of means, you know, through membership, volunteering. In, in your case, uh, growing up in Somerville, having been involved with the immigrant population, is there any digital equity issues that you see at this time? Because I think that that's something that I don't feel like it's talked enough about, and it isn't necessarily something people really want to be open about. Is there anything that you can uh, uh, enlighten us on that subject? Because it's something that I'm most curious about. I mean, I, it, it's hard. I think, you know, um, we have, there's a lot of gaps. I think, you know, we need to do a better job of promoting, for instance, the $10 um, Comcast internet that people don't know about. If, you, if you're a parent and your child gets free lunch um, at school, you qualify for a $10 Comcast internet deal. Um, I also think, you know, we, you know, we, we don't have a lot of computers. And even if we do, a lot of immigrant parents don't know how to use these things to even show their kids. Um, so we need to do a better job of actually developing um, systems and structures to put in place better programming, um, you know, for kids and for adults. I mean, the Welcome Project itself, we have a program where, you know, we teach, we teach adults how to, immigrant adults, you know, this is how you sign up for an, for an internet and, uh, sorry, not internet, this is how you sign up for a Gmail account in, you know, in September. And then by May, you're, you know, you're, final project is you're doing a PowerPoint presentation on something you like, um, you know, and these are all adults and most of them are, are upwards of 50, you know, 50 plus years old. So, um, you know, what should be harder for them to learn, they're learning. So I think we need to promote more of these types of programs for, for adults, but I also think we need to do a better job in younger ages of getting computers into people's hands and then equipping them with various, you know, programming languages and or software that they can really learn to do some of these things. I completely agree because in many ways, imagine having to do a homework assignment only to be faced with, say, like a digital wall. I know, for instance, in a lot of school districts, they use Google Chromebooks, but those are often proprietary software, and it's not always, like, readable with, you know, different um, softwares that could probably, you know, one software at home could be very different software used in school. And then when you're not necessarily in most financially capable to adjust that issue with some technology costs going into the hundreds, sometimes low thousands, I can definitely see why, you know, spreading, you know, digital equity through some sort of community process or through state funding would be very helpful. And I can definitely see its benefit. But are there any key instances that you felt as though um, – it's an approach issue? Because I feel like there are times we can provide access. But do you think that there is something that should go into the curriculum to to make it more effective to guide these immigrants? Well, we don't. And I think, you know, first off, let's be real. The Internet is probably the best uh, way of fixing educational inequalities. Um, and, you know, but it becomes a very – it's still a very have and have not thing. It's not just, you know, and now with net neutrality gone, it's even going to be worse. Um, you know, because the haves can, you know, are going to be able to stream a lot of educational uh, programming, um, even things like what, you know, things that are on YouTube, for instance, you know, they'll be able to stream them at faster rates. Whereas, um, you know, if you don't, if you don't have the means, you're not going to be able to stream things that, you know, like videos and other things that are, that are educational. Um, I also think you're right in the sense that we don't do a great job of, having more um diversity within the internet here and in, you know here in, in 
in, in Boston and in other areas where, you know, where we can have concepts and education and other things in other languages to show people and, and to use it. I also think, you know, this, uh, our school system is moving in that direction. I think, you know, upgrading to the whiteboards was one of the first great steps. I think, you know, we need to continue to add more educational achievements, um, including, you know, the possibility of buying kids um, a computer or, you know, or, or some sort or an iPad or whatever, um, so that, you know, so that we can actually have better programming in other languages uh, for students. Um, I'd like to thank our guest, uh, Executive Director of the Welcome Project, Benjamin Echeverria. Ben, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. Awesome. Anytime. <laughs>